No one in my family ever served in the military. I'm the only one. No one ever. In our history, I couldn't find anybody. And it wasn't that they didn't want to. They just came at peacetime. There was never any draft. Me, I got drafted. Dude, they got me right off the top of the barrel. I worked at the same place my dad did decades before me. They would not take him into the military because his job was at then called Convair, and they were building bombers. And he built the overhead monorail that's still being used to build F-35s on today. My dad built that for Convair. I was working at the same building with a different company called uh, General Dynamics. I worked in the same department. They wouldn't take him. They said bye to me the minute I got my draft notice. I didn't know what it was. I looked at that, and I, was, and I found out why they drafted me, because my grades were below sea level. <laughs> You're listening. I got you. Yep, my grades were below sea level. I was below the threshold for exemption. But you need to hear what I'm going to tell you. I had three exemptions. One, I was married. I married my junior high school sweetheart. She was 13 when I asked her to marry me. She slapped me. She said, I'm only 13. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me again. I used the word body, and that was TMI, too much information for her. And her dad said, knowing his name was Smith and Wesson. He spoke with a booming voice. <laughs> and so we waited. We were both virgin for several reasons. One, she, well, she knew how to cool the jets on this preacher's kid, I'll tell you that. Uh, she was very, very straightforward about it. And I want every teenager in the room to hear me. We were both virgin when we married, and it's okay. You don't have to have sex by eight years old. You can wait. We did, and 54 years of marriage proved it was a good decision. We trusted each other. Now, we weren't virgin for 54 years. <laughs> I didn't leave, leave that impression. And then my wife left me for another man. And his name is Jesus, and he took her to his place, and he didn't ask me for permission. And I didn't appreciate it either. I did not like him taking her. But after a couple of years, I started getting over it. Now I'm coming up on three years, and the Lord gave me a sense of peace about her being with him because I know she got there, threw her arms around him, and said, Dave who? <laughs> she married another guy, and she's never been happier. I was never lonelier, but I got good news about 12 years ago, I met a lady that didn't know I'd ever one day ever marry her, but for 12 years, we were acquainted because we were, she was a gold star wife. Her husband was killed in the war in the Middle East. And we ended up, last Memorial Day, really connecting. I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. What do you think of that? Now, you say, I came to church to hear that. I don't know why you came to church, but you heard that. Why am I telling you that? Because God is a God of comfort. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of changing tragedies into triumph. And I'm the least among you. And believe me when I say that, I truly mean it. I have very low self-esteem. My, all my esteem is found in Christ. Because I've seen the day without the hair piece. I, my, hair was, I, my hair was blown off. I, I got my hair back, but I had to buy it. <laughs> Made in China. Well, at least there's a bald guy in Wuhan. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I just saw that. And, uh, and I have an artificial ear, and I don't mind that. One night I was in Iraq because I traveled with DOD throughout the Middle East, and I was on, we were on a mission with some Delta Force guys and some SEALs. 
and we were transporting detainees to Al-Qaeda. They were, they were really chained to the floor of that big C-130. Well, when we landed to refuel, I had to go to the restroom. So I took off and went, went, went into the building, and, and I came back out. Well, in, in my hurry to throw on my battle rattle, my body armor, I hit my ear and knocked it off. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You can't turn on lights. You're in a war zone in the middle of the night. They, all they need is a target. And I, I said, guys, hold everything. I said, stop, stop, stop. My ear fell off. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, what? I said, my ear fell off. It's somewhere on this ramp, and it's got divots and holes and channels and wheels for loading heavy equipment. I said, it's on this ramp. I said, help me find it. So I got four Navy SEALs down on their knees on a ramp at 2 o'clock in the morning with little tiny squeeze flashlight looking for my ear. I started laughing because it was kind of funny. These mighty men of war looking for my ear. I said, what are you laughing about? I said, you guys, just kind of, well, you didn't lose your ear. You're making us look like idiots. Some of them didn't need much help, I'll tell you that. I said, no, it's really there, but one of you is close. I can hear you breathing. It gets worse. One of them said, dude, is it me? <laughs> I thought, You're defending my country? <laughs> you bought that? Why not laugh? You know what I just did? I just told you about being shot up, burned up, mutilated, dismembered, and you're laughing. Not at me, but with me, because no weapon formed against us can prosper. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The devil's on the run. Let's keep him on the run. Come on, put your hands together if you agree. We're more than conquerors through Christ. So all through my career, I've had, I've relied on humor, not to be funny. I'm not a joker. I don't tell many jokes because I don't, I miss the pinch, the pinch line. The pun, <laughs> there you go. That's what happens. I miss the punch line, and it's even funnier when I don't get the joke right. But I found out that life itself has every reason to have fun. When the devil the Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a bigger flood, a bigger, a bigger resistance. When sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in us. So it's two to one in our favor. You know, the, the Bible says one-third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. Those evil angels, I think they're like bad spirits down here trying to tempt us and mess with us. But there's two in our favor. I know them by name. One is surely and the other is goodness. And they follow me everywhere I go. All the days of my life. Did you get it? I didn't come out. I missed the punchline, didn't I? I'm trying to tell you, folks, there's comfort in knowing that God's on our side. He's for us and not against us. And you're, you're listening to a guy talking and knows what he's talking about. When I talk about sorrow and, and pain and comfort and joy, I know the contrast. I know the difference. And so... I did marry that junior high school sweetheart. And the last thing she said to me, I was drafted right out of Bible college, again, because my grades were low. I wasn't failing, but I was close. And uh, they told me to go take a physical. I wrote back and told them I felt fine. Thanks for inquiring about my health. <laughs> they insisted. So I took my physical, and, and that was the only exam I passed that semester. <laughs> I got no plus on the blood test. Oh, you guys are, you got it. I say that in public schools, they look at me, duh. And so I went and took my, but that morning, you, you need to hear this. This is some of the nuances I don't usually have time to share, but through your goodness, thanks, buddy. I appreciate the liberty to have time to 
fill in some blanks for you. That morning, I set my alarm for 4 a.m. because I had to be in Dallas at 6, and I'd get dressed as an hour drive, and I set my alarm, and this tells you how old I am. The alarm clock would click, then the tubes had to warm up. <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. That little click actually halfway awoke me because you go into what's called REM sleep, rapid eye movement. That's when you dream the most just before you wake up. And your eyes move because they're tracing what you're seeing, but it's at very high speed. And your eyes move underneath your eyelids. That's called REM sleep. Well, when that clicked, it woke me partly up. I wasn't fully awake. And the news came on, and this is what came on the news that day. Today in the DMZ, a Marine was killed north of Hanoi, uh, north of uh, Da Nang. I heard that in my sleep. I started dreaming it. I dreamed I was walking through the DMZ, which means demilitarized zone, which that's, to me, I'd never been to Vietnam. All I knew about Vietnam is what I'd seen on the news. It seemed to always be a jungle. So in my dream, I'm walking through a jungle, and I come upon a dead Marine. I roll his body over, and what I saw so shocked me, I literally leaped completely out of the bed and landed on the floor. My little teenage wife leaned over, she said, you just fell out of bed. I said, yes. Did you hurt yourself? I said, no. Are you okay? I said, no. So if you didn't hurt yourself, why aren't you okay? I said, I'm going to take a physical this morning. I will not come back a civilian. She said, you've got three exemptions, baby. You take those letters. I had an exemption because I was married, exemption because I was in college, and an exemption because I'd already been credentialed as an Assemblies of God minister in the third lowest level, which I had licensing yet to go in ordination, but that first level qualified me for an exemption. Three exemptions, and I'm going to come back a, a military man. She said, baby, don't do that. Don't tell me that. Don't you do that, baby. Don't, don't come back in the military. She said, I didn't marry a military man. I married a preacher. I said, I can't help it. She said, why? I said, the Marine, I rolled over. I looked in the helmet. It was me. I saw my face. Why should that boy die for me and me not die for him? Why should he die and me go through college and become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Welcome to God's house. I learned all the language. I knew how to say hallelujah with a tremble in my voice. I knew how to change my voice and speak in old English so God didn't know who was really calling and asking for all that stuff. I knew all the tactics. And some kid died for me in Vietnam. I couldn't deal with that. So I took my physical. They said, did your trigger finger work? I said, yes, and you passed. <laughs> I came back and I said, baby, they... They said I was going to have to be in the Army tomorrow morning. I swear I am. I said, I'm not going back. She said, now you're talking. I said, no, no, I'm not going back to the Army. I'm going to the Navy recruiter. If I'm going to serve my country, I want to serve in the branch of the service that I would enjoy the most. I like water. I want to join the Navy. I didn't know anything about Navy. I didn't know anything about Army, Air Force. I just knew that it was military and Navy sounded fun. <laughs> Boy, was I in for a shock. <laughs> I joined the Navy. It was a four-year commitment instead of two. If you're drafted, it's only two. If, you're, if you join, it's four. I joined the Navy. They sent me to boot camp. 
and then they sent me to NAB, Naval Amphibious Base, Coronado, California. I was trained by the commanders in SEAL Team 1. I became a brown water black beret assigned to SEAL Team 1. I was the boat guy, drove the fastest boats in the military with SEALs on board. We went to war together. We were injured together. I was to die together, but God had a different plan for my life. We had the highest KIA killed in action per capita, but you couldn't prove it because if they don't have your body, you're not KIA, you're MIA, missing in action. Ask any military, I'm not exaggerating. If they don't have your body, you're MIA for however many years until they finally in the, in the Navy, they call you lost at sea, which is the same as dead on arrival. I kissed that little teenage girl goodbye, and she said, baby, are you coming back? Those words still ring in my ears like tinnitus. They never go away. It's always there. Are you coming back? Are you coming back? A little flippant answer. I knew the truth. I'd seen all the training fields. We were informed. We were going to likely be killed and certainly not come back normal. I'll be back without a scar, I told her. I knew when I said it, I just made a promise I cannot keep. I walked away with that promise ringing in my other ear saying, oh, God, was that the last kiss I'll ever get from that girl? That taste of salt of those tears on my lips, will that be the last kiss? I got on that plane and I flew to Vietnam. And When we landed, they opened up the door and I could smell the chloroform of the dead bodies stacked up in caskets, transfer cases, and they were putting them under the airplane to send them home. I said, that's how I'm going home, in an aluminum box filled with whatever made it stink so bad. They had beer over there called 33 Beer, and it had enough chloroform in there. They, man, you were embalmed before you ever died. I didn't like beer. I didn't. My brother-in-law gave me a beer when I was 15. It tasted so bad, I gagged and spit it out. And I said, Herman, there's something dead in this can. He said, there's something dead in there, man. It, it tastes. He said, you've got to develop a taste for it. We were hiding in the barn where my sister couldn't catch us. <laughs> I picked up a cow pad. I just shoved it in his face. He got in his mouth. He spit it out. I said, that's horrible. I said, you've got to develop a taste for a cow pad. <laughs> <laughs> he chased me out of that bar and I'm screaming, feet don't fail me now. <laughs> That's the story of my drinking. I guess you could say I drank a beer, but I didn't swallow. <laughs> me and Bill Clinton do have something in common. <laughs> Y'all are quick, man. You don't miss a thing. That's a credit to Pastor Ed. He must be a good preacher because y'all are used to listening. Well, they got me on a helicopter, flew me into the jungle, and I was there for eight months. Eight months without a scratch. I mean, I mean, now I came close a lot of times. I mean, within inches of being killed, literally inches of being killed or maimed forever. But on July the 23rd, 1969, yes, teenager, right after the war of 1812. <laughs> I could hear you thinking clear up here, dude. By the way, weren't those young fellows that did the prayer time? And what, what that? Now, I want some of that hair, boys. 
Y'all have enough hair for four of us. I love that. <laughs> I could go on about the hair, but I'll get back to my point. I love hair. And uh, that, that 23rd of July should have killed me. That day it was not an inch miss. It hit. And shrapnel went through my mouth. My mouth was open. Apparently I was yelling. <laughs> when people are shooting at you, you have to say anything. But thank God I didn't know how to cuss well because my dad never cursed. So I didn't know how to curse very well. I, I didn't, never even tried. Really, I didn't. Sometimes the words came out that I didn't know were in there. Kind of like Ed's wife last night. <laughs> words that she had never heard before. <laughs> that, dude, that was good. That was funny. She put him in his place. Had a grown man apologize. I like that. I like that. Whatever I was saying, my mouth was open, shouting with all the way through my mouth and out my cheek, and I had a hole in my face. And some of it went in my eyeball. And they were concerned about my eye because they didn't want me to lose my eye. So they medevaced me by helicopter, took me to a mass unit, and they got it out. And then they released me. They stitched up my face, released me to go back to the military my Navy base, which was on a barge. Now, I want you to hear this story. Uh, it was on a barge, and it was about probably a mile. Well, I didn't want to walk a mile late that night. They flew me in. It was dark, and I didn't want to walk. And there was a Jeep, and it was running. The engine was running. Nobody ran, so I just took it. All belong, it belonged to the same uncle. I didn't steal it. It's uncle's. Belonged to uncle. I didn't. I mean, I left it with uncle. <laughs> I didn't know the star on it. <laughs> And I didn't realize the driver was standing behind the bush taking care of business. And when he came back, his Jeep was gone. It was a Marine general. I drove it to the Marine base, which was about probably 500 yards down the river from ours. I left it there. And then I walked in. Some guy got his, oh, he was in trouble. I walked onto my gangplank to get on. And there was one light halfway through the gangplank. And as I walked on, my commanding officer, Lieutenant Vince Rambo, literally, but the name Rambo didn't mean anything then, and he saw me under that light. Reaver, what are you doing here? I said, sir, I just was medevac. They picked me up in the, in the helicopter, brought me in there, and they fixed my eye. I know. What are you doing here? I said, well, that's what I'm trying to say, sir. I just got out of the machine, and he said, no, 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 I heard that a grenade blew up in your face and blasted, blasted damage to your hands and trunk of your body, third degree, 50%. Two days later, on the third day after that injury, that's exactly what happened to me. On the 26th of July, I was released back because nobody was there to take my place. I was driving the fastest boat in the military, couldn't outrun the bullet that day. When I beached the boat, I reached out and picked up a hand grenade to throw it. And then I drew back. The sniper put a bullet through the back of my hand. He shot at my head, but he hit my hand and blew the grenade right here. And half my skin was gone just like that. 60 pounds of flesh went up in smoke. I weighed 190 that morning, 130 that afternoon. And I kept both arms and legs. I had no pain. Zero. I felt absolutely nothing. Normally, you go into shock and you go unconscious. But when I, when it happened, I jumped in the river instinctively thinking to put the fire out. Ask anybody in this room, that was a white phosphorus hand grenade. Anybody in this room served in the military, you know water cannot extinguish phosphorus. 
under the water, I was burdened. When I ascended and I breathed, when I surfaced, I sucked that fire right in my mouth and down into my bronchitis. The doctors told me that that one event should have killed me if nothing else happened to my body. And I spoke my first word, came out of my mouth in a ball of fire. Man, I wish I could do that again without the pain. God, I still believe in you. That's an exact quote, verbatim. It's the first words out of my mouth. God, I still believe in you. Why would I say that? Again, no pain because I was in shock. The water forced consciousness on me. And when I said, God, I still believe in you, the guys that mocked me, ridiculed me, there were four of us on the boat. One of them called me Dr. Doolittle. The other one called me Dudley Do-Right. The other one called me Preacher Man because I never stopped telling them about Jesus. I called them pervert number one, pervert number two, and and pervert number three. And they fought over who would be pervert number one. That is the God's truth. I'm telling you the absolute truth. When I said, God, I still believe in you, one of the guys dropped to his knees on the bank of that river, and he gave his heart to Jesus that day. I won in the middle of the fray, I won the battle because greater is he that's in me, that's in you than he that's in the world. If I died, there would have been one more left to carry on. Helicopter landed to pick me up. Last night I told about how my skin was all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> I thought that's funny. I think three of the ladies threw up last night. No, I'm kidding. I needed to pull myself together. Helicopter landed. I looked at the damage. I was bleeding out, and the phosphorus that was consuming me cauterized the artery that was pumping blood out of my wrist, and the thing that was killing me now saved my life. That's just like Jesus. You know, to come to Christ, it kills the flesh, but it saves the spirit. The flesh has, the carnal man has to die. That's why why we caught the car. I fell over backwards. Then they thought, oh, we got a body to go with a KIA. They were happy. <laughs> I wasn't happy. The helicopter landed. They rolled me on the stretcher. I was still burning. And when I laid backwards, originally the phosphorus was being pulled by gravity deep into my body. When they turned me over, they thought I was dead. So they just rolled me on it, face down, arms hanging off. Now the phosphorus is pulling, the gravity's pulling back out of me. And it caught the stretcher on fire, ripped open. I fell right through on my head. You ever have one of those days? One of my favorite lines right there. They rolled me up in a wet army blanket. I'm Navy Special Forces. They rolled me up in an army blanket. Oh, the disgrace. (laughs) But it was soaked, and it's normally gray. Well, when it was soaked in water, it turned black, and it was heavy. Turgid is the word. It was soaked. And it had the nastiest water in Vietnam. Those rivers over there were sewers. I should have died of every infection known to mankind. I lived in that hospital 14 months and never had an infection the entire time. Nobody could believe it. Never once did I have an infection. That day, trying to suppress those little pop-up flames shooting out of the holes in my body, they rolled me up the wet blanket, got me on a stretcher, in the helicopter, away we go, and the medics filled out my death report. Who killed me when I died, where I died, all the information, thinking I'm dead, and then I yelled, medic, because the pain came when the shock wore off, and when I said medic, he almost cleared himself clear out of that helicopter. The pilot lost control, we're dropping like a rock, and I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor. 
I love to hear you laugh. Because all through this tragedy is the joy of triumph. Every turn the devil tried to take me out, God said, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. He belongs to me. The secret is to not give up in the middle of it all. The secret is hold on. Hold on. Don't quit when it hurts the most. That's when God's grace is the greatest. So hold on. Hang in there because eventually you'll look back one day and say, wow, it hurt. It hurt, but it was worth it. Some have said to me, wow, Dave, and what I'm going to say sounds self-serving. Don't take it that way. You'll see when I'm through, it's not something that I brag about. But I have become friends with a couple of the presidents of this country, George Bush and my greatest friend in the presidency ever, Ronald Reagan. And people say, wow, you get to meet presidents. You address kings and, and authorities, popes and potentates. You'd do it all again, wouldn't you? I look at him and say, you know, the grenade blew up on me, and you got the brain damage. <laughs> do it again? Are you out of your stinking brain? I wouldn't have done it the first time if I'd known it hurt this bad. But the key words there, if I had known. See, we don't know. You don't know tomorrow. I don't know tomorrow. I never dreamed that I would outlive my wife. There's no way I'm going to outlive Brenda. I'm the guy that shot up, burned up, mutilated. There's no way I'm supposed to outlive her. They pull the sheet over me twice, and cats, when I walk in, stick their tail up, ruffle their fur, and walk out disgusted. I got more lives than they do. Why did she die first? I don't know. It hurt more than all the pain I've ever known in my life put together in one package. It doesn't come close to losing Brenda. And some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. You've lost your spouse. You've lost your kid. And it hurts. It hurts. But his grace is sufficient. Let it get you down. Don't let it take your joy. Fight back. Fight back with everything in you. Don't shake your feet. Why me, God? Why not me? I don't want him to tell me why me. I may not like it. I don't know, George, or something about you I don't like. Poof. <laughs> Crispy critter. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, there's so much we don't understand. But we'll get it. Sooner or later, we'll figure it out. And I'm content that God's plan for my life included suffering, but I will never blame God. He did not shoot me that day. God does not do evil. Say that with me. God does not do evil. He didn't kill you. He didn't kill your child. He didn't kill your wife. He doesn't do evil, but he's the master of taking that disaster. Remember, taking that negative the negative is our horizontal relationships. He adds the vertical, and it turns the negative into a positive. God is so good. I do not hold him accountable for anything except trying to figure out why he loved me enough to give his son to die for me. I take it very personally that he died for me. Well, they got me to Japan and put me in the hospital there. Walter Cronkite was the NBC news anchor, ultra-liberal, 
and he counted the dead every night that were killed in Vietnam, every night, so he could keep making all the sacrifice of our warriors into negative. And I hold him accountable for that, so will God. And they didn't want me to be a member of the body count, so they got me out of country, so if you die out of country, you're not KIA, killed in action. And they got me to Japan and put me in an isolated room on a bed that had big wheels, like giant hula hoops, and the bed's in the middle. And sometimes my feet were up, my head was down, sometimes I was upside down, face down, sometimes face up. That way you, fluid doesn't build up in your lungs when you get pneumonia. So they stopped it one day with me laying flat, face up, and I could watch the flies calling in for landing permission on the flight zone. And um, they walked in. I said, I want a mirror. They said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. I want a mirror. I want to see. So they were wrong. I was wrong to ask. They were wrong to bring it. They came out and held a mirror over my face. I looked with my good eye. Everything covered was bone. Was not Everything not covered was bone. If it's covered, it was swollen out to my face, out to my shoulder almost. And they walked away with the mirror, and they walked away with my hope, and I thought, she'll never love a freak like this. What I saw was not just a mutilated image. I saw a broken promise, remember? I'll be back without a scar. I couldn't let her see me. I couldn't risk living. I couldn't take the chance that I would pull through this. And I took it out of God's hands. I took it out of my wonderful doctor's hands. And I tried to take my life because I didn't want her to see me, and they would not open that casket. So I pulled the tube, and I laid my head back, and I waited to die. And then I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. <laughs> it really went to pull lunch. That wasn't my life dripping. That was my lunch dripping on the floor. If you could smell a pizza that day, I would have been singing, plug it in, plug it in. I don't want to die. Look at me, look at me, look me right in the eyes and let me tell you something. And it hurts the most. And the devil says, jump, take your life, pull the trigger. Tell him where to go. Don't you buy that devil's lie. Don't you buy it. Suicide is not the solution. When it looks hopeless, there's hope. When it looks helpless, there's help. When you're perplexed, and that word means no visible way out, there's a way out. His name is Jesus. Don't give up. Don't quit. Somebody in this room heard me just now say that. Don't you ever forget it. He doesn't just try once. Suicide, second thought will kill you. Don't give it a second thought. After Brenda died, I was two weeks later, I was in Hawaii with the, what's called Special Operations Command Pacific. And I was training commanders at Pearl Harbor. And they introduced me. And they said he didn't have to come. We would have rewritten the contract for later, but he insisted. And I answered the question, why did I come? I said, what kind of resiliency trainer would I be if I don't live what I teach? When it hurts, you don't quit. I'm here because it hurts, and I'm not going to quit. And I told him, I said, uh, this morning, as I was sitting on the 14th floor of the Holly Cole Hotel, because I'm rated as a one-star general, I get the general's quarters at the most beautiful hotel on Waikiki Beach. And it's provided for me by your taxpayer dollars. Thank you very much. Keep those cards and letters coming in April 15th. I was sitting up there on the balcony. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. 
And Satan, the devil himself, I believe if I had been able to see him visibly, I, I would have recognized him because he's tried this before. He said to me, if you jump, you'll be with Brenda. Three, four seconds, you'll be at no more pain, no more loneliness. You'll be the one you love for your, forever. Jump, babe, jump. I said, devil, you're stupid. You know I'm scared of heights. I wouldn't have jumped off the bottom floor balcony. And that was eight inches. Don't let the devil steal your joy. The thing he hates the most is when he hurts you and you laugh. He hurts you and you smile. That tears his world apart. I want to be the Christian under his bed tormenting him at night. And so they put me on an airplane, sent me to America. They landed me at Lackland Air Force. How are we doing on time, folks? You all right? I got a few minutes before 12. He said be through by 12. I thought midnight? Yeah, that's a long. <laughs> he didn't tell me when to be through. In fact, he actually told me, take my liberty. I will, but I'll be thoughtful of you too. You guys, you are so fun. I wish they were all like you. I don't like to lose my emotions publicly. I don't like it. I think it makes me look <laughs> makes me look ugly. <laughs> I didn't have vertigo. Thank you, Lord. How about now? Broken vessel, healed right in front of you. Pastor Ed didn't know the changes my life's been going through and Lately, it's been wonderful how God's just given me hope back, giving me Beth Ann, my sweetheart that I'm going to marry on November 3rd, 4 o'clock, Fort Worth, Texas. You're welcome to come. <laughs> He's so good. That's why I say to you, I, I'm here as evidence. I don't know what it's like to lose, but I know what it's like to win. I know what it's like to have loss. I know what it's like to be found. Don't quit. It hurts. And so they sent me to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. I was there for a year and two months, and about the fourth month when they let me out of bed for my first time, and I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that was one of those key moments. And God has used African-American friends in my life in the most amazing way. Uh, I grew up thinking I was a Mexican. And I was six years old when I had to learn English because my nanny, my mom was disabled and couldn't care for me. And I had a Mexican nanny, and I learned Spanish before I did English, and I was then they told me I wasn't a Mexican. <laughs> wasn't what I thought I was, which really blows your Hispanic mind. So I grew up with a natural tendency to not be prejudiced by anything because I thought I was something that I found out I wasn't. It was disappointing. And so I'm sitting up for the first time in four months. And you remember last night in, in the ICU, which I didn't know what that meant until they gave me the robe that doesn't come together. It's the ICU. <laughs> and the, I looked over my shoulder in the back, and I saw me. <laughs> I didn't know I was hurt that bad. <laughs> Severe damage. And it got worse because that's when I figured out what the Army draft really was. 
draft. Okay. So I'm sitting up for the first time, and it hurt physically because the bones in your hip have not been sat on. The cushion of your buttocks are not there. It's just not there. Boy, it hurt, and I was in pain. And they had this adjustable table, and I had my hands up above my head because if they hung down, blood would run out. You had to keep your hands above your head to keep the your, – your heart will push blood up, but the higher your hands, the less pressure on them. Does that make sense? You follow that? And so I – had this table on my hands, my elbows are up on it, my hands are above my head, and these fingers, they're just mutilated, they, you can see they don't work, they make the mic stand in a preaching finger, <laughs> repent, <laughs> <laughs> I found out in Australia that if you hitchhike and you don't have a thumb, don't use your other finger, <laughs> they try to run over you. <laughs> So that day, I'm sitting with my elbows on this table, and this precious black lady walks in. And she stood right in front of me, and she raised her pink hand that was black before it got burned. She said, hi there. I recognize the southern accent because I'm from the south. I didn't think to think. I, and I'll explain that in a second. I didn't think to think about why was she here. That old pink hand. Now, the black pigment would return. It was not a third degree burn. And the black pigment would return her hand. She'd be in her normal color. Hi there. I didn't say where I looked right through her like she wasn't there. I wasn't prejudiced. I hated everybody equally. I didn't want to be messed with. I didn't want anybody saying hi there with a smile on their face and showing me the love of Jesus. I didn't want that. I wanted somebody to get out of my world. I'm alone and suffering leave me alone. She didn't take offense. She walked past me, and then she attacked me from the rear. <laughs> she took her pink hand that was black before it got burned it on, and she put it on my pink shoulder that was white before it got burned. I found out we're all the same color. We're just different wrapping. You following me? I love the story of the black preacher and the white preacher arguing over what color was God and the Black preacher said he's black, and the white preacher said he's white, and the bus ran over and killed them both. They're standing in front of the pearly gates, and a booming voice cried out and said, Buenos dias, como esta usted? <laughs> so what have you learned today? God made us in his image. He's pink, and he lives in Miami. <laughs> oh, I wish every audience was like you. You're so, you're, you're good for my soul. I'm supposed to be here for you. You're here for me today. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, she raised her other pink hand up, and she plugged it into about 440 volts of Jesus Christ. And she did something I heard last night that almost scared me off the front row. I hadn't heard it in so long in a church. Somebody spoke in tongues last night. Did you hear that? Whoa. That's what that precious black lady did. She started speaking in a language. I hadn't heard that in so long. All of a sudden, the bump of the goose popped up all over me. And the eight months in Vietnam after the first body count, the second week there, eight months later, not a tear. Four months in the hospital, not a tear. Root of bitterness growing deeper into my soul, not a tear. I was a dry spirit wandering in a desert place. She dug a well, hit water, and it sprung out of my eyes, and I wept for the first time. 
and what the doctors were trying to do to my body, that woman did to my spirit in a moment of obedience. It never dawned on me, why would a woman be on a man's men's ward? Why would a woman with a secondary degree burn be in a room with 13 guaranteed to die? We nicknamed that room death row. Why was she there without visiting hours? I still believe God may have sent me an angel, and she obeyed the Lord that night. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find out a lot of things about angels. But one thing I know this, the angel of the Lord kept trying about them that fear him and serve him. And I do both just like you. We have every right to believe there's a God that intervenes in our human affairs. And when it hurts the most, this helps the best. Don't quit when it hurts. I'm Dave Reaver. I approve of this message.